Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to the Ruler podcast, supported by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. There's a distinct whiff of frit, mayo and strong beer about this edition as we celebrate all things Flemish. We talk to two legendary Flandrian hardmen, to the author of a book which examines our fascination with this cold, unlovely part of Northern Europe, and Stuart Clapp recalls the time he burst into tears at the top of the moor. But first... Mr. Parry Roubaix, the Gypsy, the Beast of Eclo, and star interview in the current edition of the magazine, Roger de Vlaminck. Four times winner of Parry Roubaix, along with countless other classics and monuments, Roger is a man of few words, most of them dismissive of modern racing and riders. I asked him why he triumphed so many times in the hell of the North. Well, to win Parry Roubaix, in the first place, you just have to be in really good shape. And you have to be good at handling your bike. And I was also doing well in cyclocross. So. And the other classics as well, all hard races, which you did very well in. Sure, not only Paris-Roubaix, but I won the Tour of Lombardy twice, Milan-San Remo three times, and lots of other classics. I won all the five monuments, huh? Only three other racers have done this. And when it came to um, the the... Uh, grand tours, uh, you know, the uh, longer races. He did very well as as well there. That's that's different to uh, today uh, because today people tend to specialise very much in in one thing or the other. Well, these days riders specialise too much. Sagan couldn't go to Lombardy. He can't win there. He can't win Liège Bastogne Liège either. That is not specialised. That is not better than. But that isn't because he's specialising. He's just not good enough. Anyway, they only ride the classics now when they can win. Tom Boonen is only competing when the race suits him. Of the riders who you see today, um, who do you think ha- has the kind of spirit of yourself and Max and Mertens? Who, who, are the, who are the modern riders that have the same sort of skill and spirit? Well, in our in, in time... 
In our day, there were maybe seven or eight all-round riders who could win the Grand Tours, sprints and time trials. I have won time trials against Eddie Merckx, I have won sprints from Patrick Circu, and he was world champion, eh? And I won the toughest mountain stages in the Tour of Italy. And what do we have now? We have all-round riders like Froome who can win time trials and mountain stages, but, well, he can't sprint, can he? Roger de Vlaminck. Freddie Mertens was another Flemish legend who lived his career in the shadow of Eddie Merckx. Nevertheless, he managed to be world champion twice, to win stages in all the Grand Tours and take a score of victories in classics and one-day races. After retirement, he was dogged by problems with money, alcohol and his health, but he's resolved an argument with Merckx which began at the 1973 World Championships and meant the pair didn't speak for decades. I asked him to recall his first World Championship title, Italy, in 1976. I remember that was the first championship that the whole Belgium team were close and working for me, even uh, Eddie Merckx. And that made a difference? A big difference, eh? Because at a certain moment, uh, Moore was in the front with Zutemar, and then they ride the Belgium team, and then until 200 meters, and then I jumped through the two of them with Conti, Tino Conti, the Italian, and the wheel. Because the World Championships are strange, aren't they? Because um, you have people who don't ride together, who ride for different teams, come together, and sometimes that, that can be a problem. Yeah, but uh, Mold uh, was uh, as a rider who always, always ride. And then when we got in the little town there, he attacked, and I have to go with him downhill. So we were two in the front, and then it was easy for me. To do it in the sprint. Easy for you, but... Uh, yeah, for me, yeah. Well, I, I, wrote, I was in a good shape. 1973 in Barcelona, that had been very different and that caused a bit of a, an upset uh, between we you were, and... We were with two Belgian with in the front and Eddie had uh, a little off day. I was young and I said to him that I worked for him. First of all, uh, when we were with two in the front, but I think he didn't uh, believe me. And I say I was happy to be the second near you uh, on the podium. And then I spoke again with him when Gimondi and Okanya came back. I said, I, do you have to make the sprint for you? He said, yes. So you, you tell me when I have to go. And then he blocked. I waited, I waited, and a certain moment, Gimondi passed on the left, and I came back. But then he gave me an elbow, and I lost with the half wheel. It was not good, it was not good for the Belgium team. I can't do it. I offered uh, my services to the, the greatest man, uh, the greatest rider in the world. Um, it's a pity. And that caused some problems between you and Eddie for, for, for many years. Yeah, that was uh, not to Eddie and me, but most uh, the journalist, television, they make a whole story of it, but uh, later. 
we, we saw it in France. We were in the same hotel in the evening, the three of us with my, my wife, and Eddie and me, and we were doing something together, and he said, uh, why don't we let Barcelona behind us? And we talk, and uh, everything was all right. And that was, what, uh, 2007 or later than...? Oh, it was later. Yeah. It was later, uh, about 20 years ago. So that must be 10 years later after Barcelona. And everything's fine now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, last year I had to operation for my heart. And he looked for a good professor for me for doing the operation. And it was nice for him. He's a, a real man. And how, how is your health now? Are you still working? Very good, very good. Uh, in 2016... Uh, I was in Rusland for caring, but uh, I felt always down, down, down. And then, uh, yeah, because Eddie was uh, calling two or three times a week how it was with me, and he arranged with uh, Professor Burgada. And then we went to Yette, Brussels. And he made the operation. Uh, everything all right. Let's talk about the, the second World Championship uh, you won, uh, 1981 in, in Prague, and uh, quite late on in your, in your career, really. Yes, but winning as winning. <laughs> now we were at the front with 1920. Uh, there were nine Italians with. I spoke to one Italian, uh, how it... Uh, going to do and your team and he said me uh, until three uh, rounds uh, before the end it's everything for motion if he, he can get away with uh, races he can beat all the way the last three years uh, uh, three rounds it's everything for Saroni so I said yeah, in the last uh, turn I have to be in the, in the wheel of Saron, and I was it. And then you go to the sprint, and I went. You were on Saroni's wheel because you knew that he was going to be the, the, yeah, the attacker. Yeah, yeah. With nine Italian, they're making the sprint for him. Just not so difficult when you were good, eh? And they couldn't beat you in the sprint? No. I saw also uh, that uh, Bernardino came, but... I win. Uh, away from the World Championships, of course, you um, had a, a successful career in Grand Tours. Uh, you won the uh, Vuelta in '77. Uh, yeah. Um, and not always a race that uh, Belgian riders do well in. No, no. Yeah, but uh, at that time we had uh, a Spanish sponsor with Flandria, and then we, we have to ride there. We came from the Tour uh, du Giro. And then I had the fall in Miguel with uh, Valin in the sprint. I win uh, at, until that, uh, seven stages. And then I have to come back. But I uh, spoke to the, the team, and they also wanted to come home. And I said to Poland here, no, you have to do something for me. You have to win here. 
and I spoke to Mark Meyer and I said, you have to win uh, three stages more. And it happened. And after the Giro, I went uh, to Milan for seeing winning uh, Poland, yeah. And the uh, classics and, and the one days as well, because he won uh, Gent Wevelgem uh, twice. Uh, yeah, twice. Uh, Paris Tour, Paris Brussels, uh, Amstel Gold. Um, what was it that, that made you sort of suited to the, to the one days? What, what the one day, well, yeah. when you are in a good form, you can, in my state, uh, when it's hot, when it's raining, when I was good. And so uh, I could do the one-day race too. Whatever the weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to be good. So for being good, you have to train, 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 and live like uh, a monarch. Uh, do you still um, uh, keep an eye on Belgian racing? On, on, on yeah, yeah. Progressing? I follow, I follow all the classics who are uh, a newspaper. Uh, I like that. And, and, and you volunteer and you work at the uh, Museum of uh, Flemish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I work also. I'm guiding in Odenart. So uh, they can call there to Odenart uh, asking for me if I am free that day. And then uh, we make it okay. And I'm, I'm going to start also in Ruslar. And it's very, very nice. And I have to do the guiding there too. Of the sort of current group of Belgian riders, um, who do you think uh, has some of the spirit of the Flandrians of the of the yeah. crew that you were riding with? It's not easy to say because we didn't win uh, most things. It's Van Avermaet, okay, but uh, the season who is gone, he didn't make much, even not in the World Championship. Yeah, we knew that uh, it was very hard, but I found it good that who is his name who win Valverde. Uh, I'm very happy for him. He he had a, a real good career. It must be that he uh, win one world championship. I'm lucky for him. But for the Belgium, yeah, um, we have to wait. I don't see any Belgium who can can win the Tour de France for the moment. Eh? Can be later, but uh, for one day races, the Belgium looking uh, each other. I think they uh, had let win the others, the other nations or the Belgium. They're too busy racing each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of pressure on Belgian riders, isn't there? There's a lot of pressure yes, from, yeah. and expectation from the yeah, from a lot the of pressure. The yeah, but yeah. that's uh, every year like that. I felt it too. Eddie Moore, you have to do it and you have to do your work for all sportsmen. The more you you know yourself, the better you are. Freddie Martins. You're listening to the Ruler podcast, supported by Lacquer. Lacquer is a smarter way of insuring your bikes and gear. Instead of charging you a fixed premium, you only pay a small share of the community's claims cost. Your share is proportionate to how much you insure with Lacquer. 
Your share can theoretically go down to zero if there are no claims in the month, and Lacquer also locks in a maximum price to make sure there are no nasty surprises. But don't take our word for it. Let's hear from one of Lacquer's customers. My name is Rupert Englander. Um, I'm a self-confessed mammal, and uh, I've been a member of Lacquer since probably about January last year. Funny enough, I literally had to make my first claim last week. I had an off on the way back from work. Nothing serious, thankfully. But I managed to sort of break the hub in my rear wheel and derailleur got bent and so on. I tool the saddle. And the guys at Lacquer have been astonishing. I mean, I, literally, I submitted a claim, which is just you, you take a photo, a couple of photos and a, a video of what's happened. So this was after hours, obviously. I was commuting home. So I didn't expect to hear anything until at least the next day. I think it was about 20 minutes, actually, of the actual claim going in. Ordered a saddle that night. He's been working with a called Von Crank, who have actually got my bike now and are, uh, are actually fixing it up and will deliver it back to me in full working mode uh, tomorrow. It's a bit like having a mate. When you say, look, oh, something's happened and uh, you know, I've broken the bike or whatever, and they go, right, do nothing, don't worry about it, I'll sort it for you. So um, I've been really impressed with the, um, the service I've received as a result of it. Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Harry Pearson once wrote a book called A Tall Man in a Low Land, which detailed his fascination with and love for Belgium, a country strangely overlooked by travel writers. His new book, The Emperor, the Beast and the Milkman, focuses on the Dutch-speaking Flanders region, and in particular its obsession with bike racing. The pinnacle of that obsession, of course, is the Tour of Flanders. This year, both the men's and the women's races were won by Italians which won't have gone down well with the Flemish. I suspect not that it's better than a Dutch person or a French person winning. That, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, that would, have been, that would have been even more galling. The men's race was, I think, it was, I think it was only eight times in the whole history of the race that there hasn't been a Flemish rider on the podium. So, I mean, that was a pretty, it's been, they've had a poor run, actually. I was quite lucky because when I did the book, you know, they had a, they had a really great spring with, with Philippe Gilbert and, and Van Avermaet. And then since then, they've barely won. They've barely won a race. So, you know, what do you think it is that uh, fascinates so many British people, in particular, about Flanders and, and and that particular corner of Belgium? How did you first get interested in it? Well, I, I got interested in it because a, a friend of mine, who's, he was he was a Steve, who lives in Luxembourg now. He's like a big cycling fan, and I, and I knew so little about cycling. We used to go to football together, and uh, I, I knew so little about cycling that he had a he had a poster of Sean Kelly on his on the wall of his kitchen, and I thought that Sean Kelly was wearing a green jersey because he was Irish. <laughs> so that's how little that I knew. So I, so and he kind of got me into it, and we used to do. They used to, every Tour de France, they used to, you used to be able to do like um, fantasy team, where you picked that you picked a team and sort of try you know try to get points a bit like in fantasy football. So we started doing that. that. Was how I kind of got into it. So that so then he said to me, "Oh well, we should go out to Belgium and see these one day races, the Tour de France." So we went to see the Tour of Flanders in I think the I think the second year that Museo won. You could do a thing then when in a week you could you could see the Tour of Flanders on a Sunday. Gent-Vavel game on the Wednesday and then Paris-Roubaix the following Sunday. So we used to do that. We used to go for those three races or we'd do Liège-Baston-Liège-Flèche-Wallon. And how long was it before Flanders sort of got under your skin? Well, I'd, before that, I'd sort of really... It was really that the first time we went, this first week we went, we just had such a riotous time, partly because I think I realised after about five days that we'd never drunk anything except beer and coffee all the time we were there. So I think we had a can of orange juice out of a, out of a vending machine and felt, we'd, <laughs> felt that we'd done, done all right. So it was really there. And I mean, I remember being in a bar and a, a guy saying to us... Um, 
He said, oh, why are you here? And we said, oh, it's really great. We really like it. And, they, and, he, and the waiter, in a typical Flemish way, he said, but it is very wet and it is very boring. And there is nothing here to see. And at that point, uh, two nuns went past on a tandem. And, I, and we went, look, look. And the, guy, and the waiter just kind of shrugged and went, well, it is normal. <laughs> and we were like, no, it's not. But it is weird, isn't it? Because Flanders is, you know, tiny, um, largely flat, horrible weather. Um, why do you think it's become such a sort of um, altar of cycling, such a centrepiece of, uh, of world cycling? I, I think it, I think because the, the Flemish have sort of embraced cycling from, from early on, I think, because it became like a way for them to express almost their national identity and their national character. And I think, you know, everybody, everybody sort of shapes sport a bit too to sort of show something about themselves in a way like the way that the English play football, you know, sort of demonstrates what the English like, what, what the English seek to express about themselves, you know, kind of guts and stamina and all these kind of things, or, you know, used to be in the old, old times, you know. And I think the same with the Flemish. I think that cycling allows them to show the things that they value in their own character, which is kind of endurance, toughness, and, and basically phlegm, you know, guts. That's what, that's what they like, and they shape the races to to fit for, to fit in with us so you know it's always a bit of a disappointment isn't it to us when like yesterday the tour of flanders is run in a, on a sort of sunny you know cloudless windless day you know because we the, the flemish don't want that they want it to be rainy they want it to be windy they want it to be as hard as possible because the things that the flemish admire are, the, are that sort of almost like a sort of far you know farm workers um, stamina, you know, to survive, to endure. That's what they, that's what they that's what they really like, and I think that's why that's why those. And I think that probably appeals to the British as well, because that's something in our character as well. We endure our weather, don't we? You know, we, we're always we have to put up with it, we have to survive it. I mean, someone once said that the difference between the British and the Americans is that the is the Americans see a problem as something that should be solved, and the British see a problem as something that must be endured. So I guess that's something in our character as well, which may explain why British people sort of like it there. And you also, in the book, I mean, you talk about the distinct character of the uh, Flandrians, of the Flemish, um, and, but you also liken them to uh, people from the north of England rather than the south. Well, I think that's sort of true. I think, you know, there's, there's a great Jonathan Mead's documentary about this, you know, where he's sort of basically saying, we're, I mean, the, Brit the British generally, we're all northerners. And so we're all filled with a kind of, you know, this kind of grumbly sort of self-loathing in a way, you know, that our our way of life is sort of inferior to that of the, the to that of the Mediterranean, um, you know. And so I think I do think that. I mean, I think you know the whole thing with Flanders with the chips and the beer and the rain and the moaning, you know, that, that, that's that is like a northern. That's, that's to me like I grew up in, you know, I grew up in the North Riding of Yorkshire, so that, that seems it seems very noticeable to me. And my mate Steve, who's a Geordie, he always said that he always said these are just these are Yorkshiremen who speak Dutch. You do have a go in the book at defining what it means to be a Flandrian, a Flahoot, you know, in, in terms of a cyclist. But it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to to sort of define someone who is and someone who isn't. No, I mean that was yeah, no, it's a sort of tricky thing, isn't it? I mean, because Museo was always he he sort of talked to us like the yeah. You know, there's always like there's like rider after rider is the last of the Flandrians, so sort of dying breed of of men. I suppose you know if you looked at someone like Breed Scotter, I suppose he's like the kind of defining character of it really the man who sort of like embodies everything about flemish cycling as i say in the book you know flanders used to be very poor it was you know it was a poor sort of peasant it was a peasant kind of economy now i think if flanders was separated from the rest of belgium it'd be per capita one of the wealthiest parts of the eu 
So, you know, that, that old idea that they were these kind of suffering, oppressed people um, has, has rather kind of gone by the wayside. So it's a bit more difficult now. I don't think anyone would think, you know, so Tom, so like Tom Boonan, he wasn't really, he was Flemish, but he's not a Flandrian. I think that's, <laughs> I think the thing with the, the thing with defining the Flandrian is probably you sort of know one when you see one. That's what I'll say. Now, the book's called The Beast, the Emperor and the Milkman. And one of the features of both the book and Flemish racing is that everybody has... Uh, an increasingly bizarre nickname as you sort of go down the uh, as you go down the batting order. Yes, yeah, yeah, so I was like, there's like the Baker of Berg is particularly my favourite. Now I can't even remember. I can't even remember who that was. Now it's like one of those things. But yeah, the milkman as well, Franz Verbeek, who actually did go. He did actually. His dad had a milk round, and he did at one point give up cycling in order to go back and work as a milkman. And there's the Death Rider of somewhere, or so the Death Rider... Oh, the Death Rider of Lichtervelde, yeah, that's a... Yes, yes, he was the guy who sort of really kind of established, in a way, the kind of legend of the Tour of Flanders by... By sort of winning the race by winning the race by climbing through a railway train, then getting incredibly drunk just before entering the velodrome in Ghent. Yeah, so that yeah, he was he was like one of the I think uh, written van Leerberger, wasn't it? He, he he was that was just after the First World War, and I think that was the sort of it was his performance that really kind of established the the Tour of Flanders in the minds of the Flemish. I think it's the sort of legend of that race, which I think is probably not entirely true it's probably exaggerated so coming up this weekend is a race that isn't uh, strictly speaking uh, Flemish but to all intents and purposes should be Paris-Roubaix because it has sort of all the characteristics of um, of a proper Flandrian race doesn't it well it does and I think I think the fact of it is though that it does actually finish in Flanders because Lille um, which is called in Flemish is called Racel which actually means the island, I believe, in uh, in Dutch. Uh, is you know, Lille was historically the capital of Flanders, so that area actually is. You know, if you and if you go down there, there's lots of little breweries and stuff like that there. So it has a kind of common, it has a common culture with Flanders. So I suppose you know, you could say it fit, it doesn't start in Flanders, but it kind of finishes in Flanders. And as you say, I mean, the characteristics of the race. You know, uh, yeah, is like a it is a Flemish race in character, that's for sure. And I, and I would think for the Flemish riders as well, after after the Ronde, you know, Paris Roubaix is the race that they would next most want to win. I would think even even more so than Liège Baston Liège. And in the book, you effectively follow the sort of Flanders spring of the uh, of, of all the races, and obviously the big races, but also you kind of forget there are lots of little ones, aren't they? Which was the, your favourite of the uh, smaller spring races? I, I suppose my favourite would be, although it actually isn't in Flanders, but it is, again, like a race that's Flemish in character, is Le Samain. Uh, which is sometimes referred to as Petit Roubaix, which is down in the in it's down in Wallonia in the French-speaking half of Belgium. In a in a the app it finishes in a town called Dua, which is very aptly named. It's an old mining coal mining town. Now I, you know I live in Northumberland, so I, and I'm from the northeast of England, so I'm sort of familiar with old pit villages. And Dua is like the pit village of all pit villages. Um, and that race, it's because it's run sort of in right at the end of February, early March. It has the weather that used to generally be associated with Roubaix and the Tour of Flanders, and seems less so nowadays. And I thought that race, I had a fantastic day at that. There's it's got massive cobbled sections around Dua, and it, it was pouring out with rain all day. Um, and I think that I think that's a really fantastic race. But then also, I think you know the other thing, you know, when people are out, if people go to Flanders to watch the bigger races, but but in 
during the week there are these these town criterions which are where which are open to the the sort of non-contract riders and the under 23s and those races they they're really where the flemish cyclists learn to ride i think you know so i went you know i went you could go every day there would on a saturday there'd be six or seven of these races in flanders each with a field of 150 riders with a first prize of like a thousand euros something like that and they just race around the town so it's just like a town circuit and all the town kind of comes out for it to see it um and i think those those races were really fantastic because you really saw how in in a way how how popular cycling was in flanders in a way that you need in a little place like that to to put out every Saturday a race with you know like eight hundred riders. That that's like that's pretty impressive, isn't it? And it goes across the sort of whole of society as well. And uh, you know, old old people, uh, women, uh, young men, children. Yeah, everybody gets involved. Well, that was yeah. That to me was one of the interesting things. Like when I, you know, as I say in the book, you know, I remember sort of sitting at one of these the Criterion, in, I think in Varagam and. You know, I sat next to these three old ladies, and at first I assumed that they must have a sort of relative, a, a, you know, a sort of nephew or something. He was riding in the race, but then it became obvious they didn't. They just liked cycling, and you know, and what, what, you know, and that sort of like was kind of. And it's the same when you go to cyclocross. I've never seen. I've, I've. I can't remember going to a sporting event where there were so many women at watching. It's and except when I went to the old professional wrestling with my gran. Yeah, it's a very special place, isn't it? Are, are you looking forward to a wet Paris-Roubaix? Well, I did, uh, yeah, I thought it was yesterday. It was it was kind of disappointing. To, but the Ronda, I think the problem is now maybe it, maybe that, someone told me that there's someone who's tracking climate change via the Spring Classics, which seemed like a good university job for someone. But uh, yeah, I would, I would hope for a, I would hope for sort of lumpy sleet at the very least. But I think it seems less likely nowadays. The times when I went to Paris-Roubaix, I just remember you know huge clouds of dust. I wanted mud and I got dust. <laughs> so it's time to catch up once again with uh, Stuart Clapp, uh, editor of Rouleur's Desire section. Stuart, what have you been up to? Hello, mate. I've, um, I've been really busy recently, which uh, has come as a shock to uh, many people. But we're doing a one-off Desire issue this year. And when's that coming out? Uh, first week of May apparently um yeah it's still in the works at the moment so hopefully by the time people are listening to this it'll be on its way to the printers and looking smashing and what's in it loads of bikes loads of kit right imagine the section of desire but just bigger like 140 pages worth of it so it gets really weird you know how like some of the desire shoots get a bit what is in the bath or something like that imagine that but like when you're cooped up in an environment for a week in a chateau together, um, how how odd it can get. So, which is another, you know, to carry on the theme of, of shooting desire in haunted locations. Um, yeah, we went to a, 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 a chateau in uh, just outside Toulouse for this one. You know, I took my bike with me and, and, and had a little smash around there, which, you know, I've got a new bike now. These, these, all the things have changed since last we spoke, Ian. I didn't know what to get, did I, before? And now I've, I've decided. You've actually got a new bike. I have, I have. It took me bloody ages, as, and to be honest, it annoyed the shit out of my friends. Part, you know, uh, They were kind of, when is he just going to get the bike? Because I couldn't decide. I was banging on, wasn't I? I didn't know whether to get a steel bike, but no, I'm, I'm not quite there ready for steel yet. I'm definitely not an aero bike kind of guy. Um, and then, obviously, if you remember our last podcast, 
I made it pretty clear that I've got a man crush for Roman Bardet. And then I was thinking, I need an all-rounder, right? That's what I need, like an all-round bike that can do anything, right? And then I thought, factor, O2. Roman Bardet rode one, doesn't ride one anymore, podiumed Liège-Bastion on the edge and Paris-Roubaix in the space of a couple of weeks. So that sort of speaks to me as a kind of, they're very different races. And if the bike is still performing in those, then, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's, that's pretty good testament to a, to a frame, I think. So, yeah, I've got one of those. Talking of um, all-round bikes, yeah, uh, I understand that the next Rouleur edition, not the Desire one, 19.3, has got gravel bikes in it. Yeah. What are people going to make of it? I think they are now the ultimate M plus one. Now, I, now I've played with all these. I'm, that's probably going to be my next bike I'm going to moan about for ages that I need, but I can't work out what I want. You need a gravel bike now. Yeah, probably. It's I, I want every bike, I think, mate. I, I can't decide. They're so cool, aren't they? I love bikes. Coming to the end of the classic season, Paris-Roubaix uh, next weekend. Have you enjoyed um, the Flanders races? Yes. So uh, I, my my mate Lucas Postelberger was uh, I just missed out of the podium. Um, obviously, Flanders. What a race! Well, well, we've we discussed this before we started recording about. Was it a good race? Mm. It was 175 kilometres of looking at each other, wasn't there? Yeah, it was an excellent game of chess. Do you ever watch Brass Eye where they had that blinking competition where they used to put those two cartoon characters facing each other? It was a bit like that. Uh, but you get to that point and it's who's willing to give it a crack? Who doesn't mind losing? You know what I mean? It's And those guys, EF Education, I, I saw a statistic that the last race that they won was a long while ago the pressure isn't on those guys the pressure's on like quick step you know Sagan's team it's all like Lotto Bellasar it's their this their home race that was a gutsy ride because you just got to go for it haven't you really it's his first pro win as well but you weren't actually out there riding it yourself no I thought I was I think I'm going to wear a heart rate monitor for some races to see where 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 I can get to I've done the sportive a couple of times I'm not necessarily a sportive guy because the roads are always there they don't pack them up and tuck them away you can go and ride them for free anytime you like I did it once and it was just after having my little boy Torsten I think that was the year the Cancellara, Cancellara over the top. You know the one where he he dropped bone and going up up the uh, up the Murder Guard was Gardersburg. You you pronounce it better than I do. Murdergardsbergen, I think. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, yeah, that which actually bring, brings me to a point, right? So on that, I, I I'd had a bad day. It like sleeted. It was horrible, right? I got to that point and I was really out of shape because I had. Had a but not me. <laughs> I hadn't literally had a baby. My wife had had a baby about uh, a month or so before. So sleepless nights. It was like, and I hadn't been riding my bike much, and I suffered badly riding around this. We got to that bit, and and the crowds for the sportive, just uh, it was there was something so nice about it. I came over the top of there, and it sort of struck me that these people were just out there cheering on people riding a sportive, right? Wait, could you imagine that in this country? Apart from the moaning about road closures, you'd get wanker all day. You wouldn't get people like out there applauding you with a beer or anything like this. 
Anyway, so I came over, over the top and this Belgian guy, you know, the club cyclists have got all the sponsors. He rode up beside me, put his hand on my back and he's like, how do you like Belgium? I said, oh, it's amazing, mate. I, I love it. And he went, you're very welcome here. And that was it. I was a fucking mess. And I'm afraid at that point, Stuart became too emotional to continue. I'm sure he'll have recovered by the next edition. See you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.